scripture passage this evening is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, Pew Bible, page 118. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's follow the reading of God's Holy Word, may he bless the hearts, hands, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at, excuse me, we're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 35, which can be found in the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 49. And we can read the answers together in unison this evening. What is... God's will for us in the second commandment. That we in no way make any image of God nor worship Him in any other way than He has commanded in His word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, Yet God forbids making or having such images if one's intention is to worship them or to serve God through them. But may not images be permitted in the churches as teaching aids for the unlearned? No, we shouldn't try to be wiser than God. He wants his people instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. So I've had to think long and hard about how I'm going to go about uh, presenting the second commandment, and I think, it's, I think it's got to be handled very carefully, and I think it has to be handled with the thrust being towards the heart of the commandment, um, rather than sometimes we get off on these debated trails and paths. But as I was considering an illustration, I thought about a local phenomenon One that maybe many of you guys have seen, saw on a billboard, 
and thought to yourself, what is this? The shrine of Christ's passion. First time I saw that, I said, really? Shrine? Bronze statues? This is something that we're encouraging Christians to participate in. And I think it's often because so many Christians have not even considered what the second commandment means to us today. It's not even been a thought. But if you go to the website, this is what it states about the shrine of Christ's passion. Forty life-size bronze figures are artfully placed in dramatically landscaped gardens that look and feel like the Holy Land. As one newscaster stated, it's Jerusalem in your own backyard. Here you can sit with Jesus at the Last Supper, journey with him along the path to his crucifixion, actually enter the empty tomb, and finally witness his glorious ascension into heaven. Come away with a deeper understanding and appreciation of the love of God for all humanity. Here at the shrine of Christ's passion, lives are changed one soul at a time. Now, I don't bring this up to um, purposely offend anybody who's possibly been to this this thing in, in Crown Point. But what I want us to consider is this. If the second commandment says we should not have any images of God, and if Jesus Christ is God, then there is a reality that needs to be considered. And that is, should we have images of Christ? And should we be encouraging this kind of experience, one that is based off of someone's imagination about crucifixion or the Lord's Supper or the glorious ascension into heaven rather than something that's rooted in God's self-glorification, God's self-expression, God's self-revelation in His Word. That's what we want to talk about today. Theme is this. We are to worship God We are to worship God only in the way He has commanded us to worship Him. Point number one, point number two, point number three. Number one is this. This worship is to be exclusive. This worship is Number two is to be accurate. And number three, this worship is to be careful. This is question and answer 96, question and answer 97, question and answer 98. And as we go through this, I'm hoping that I can show you a couple places in the scriptures um, outside of Exodus 20 where we have explanations, examples, Uh, ways in which this commandment itself is working out. So first is exclusive, right? Look at what um, question 96 says. What is God's will for us in the second commandment? The answer is this, that we in no way make any image of God nor worship him in any other way than he has commanded in his word. So 
there's two things going on here in this answer. The first is answering the question, what is forbidden? This is part of we, what we call the negative expression of the law, right? What is forbidden? And what we're being told is that we may not represent God in images or pictures. Now, it's important that we understand the historical context of Exodus 20 when we, real, when we, when we deal with this for this reason. At that time... All the pagan worship was based on these images or pictures. And the idea is that if you made these images, these idols, these figurines, that you somehow captured the power of God. Think about how um, the Israelites were like, well, if we bring the Ark of of the Covenant with us into worship, right, then God God will bless us because the power of God is somehow contained in this, this item. And God showed them, right? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. So God is saying, I'm not contained in an image or a picture. In fact, he's saying, if you try to image me or picture me, you're actually belittling me. You're making me less than I am. You're taking me from creator to created. In fact, that's exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. When he's talking about not even in Exodus 20 at that time, but also an application at the time of the New Testament, the gospel going forth. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23 says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So, God, so Paul's saying, general revelation has gone out from what God has created so that everybody who looks upon the stars and looks at the sky at night and looks at all that he sees, the trees and the flowers, can say that they know that God exists and they're without excuse, right? But then look what happens in verse 21. Although they knew God, they neither glorified God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to them, but their thinking became futile and their foolish, heart, foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And this is the expression of foolishness. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Think of Paul at the Areopagus. And he's saying, I see you have all these gods. Let me talk to you about the unknown God. Think of Paul when he says... At one time, God overlooked all this foolishness, right? Many of you probably learned this at VBS. But now he's calling all men everywhere to repent. What is, what is this foolishness that he was overlooking? What is this ignorance that he was overlooking? It was the fact that they had created idols and images of God rather than praising the true God. So what is forbidden images uh, or pictures of God? Broadly, though, this is forbidding every kind of idolatry. Every kind of false worship, right? (coughs) Think about Aaron when Moses is up on the mountain. What's he do? 
He takes the living God, the creator of the world, the universe, the heavens and the earth, and he turns him into a cow. It's despicable, right? My favorite part of that story is Aaron basically says, I don't know what happened. A cow just popped out. Like you don't know, right? Think of Jeroboam. And this is especially important when we consider the, the full expression of the second commandment, right? I hold the, the sins against the father generation, the third and fourth generation, but my love to thousands of generations. Think of Jeroboam. Jeroboam took 10 of the tribes of Israel. He went up to the north, right? And he thought to himself, if all of these people continue to go down to Jerusalem for worship, they're going, their hearts are going to go after the kings of David. So this is what he did. He made golden calves, and he said, Hear, O Israel, are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. And if you read the book of Kings, you'll see that over and over again, it will say, this king followed after his father the sins of Jeroboam, the sins of Jeroboam, the sins of Jeroboam, right? What is forbidden expressly is images or pictures, but broadly is idolatry. And this is not just image worship. For instance, making an image and worshiping it. There's all kinds of modern expressions of this. I don't see, okay, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, there's a whole practice of iconography, right? We, we pray through these pictures of saints. We pray through these pictures of, of, of images, right? But there's even the idea of forming false conceptions or mental pictures of God. Like you say something that is not in accordance with God's word. You think of God in a way that is not true to the way God has revealed him, himself in his word. That's a false expression or conception or mental picture of God. So it's got image worship in this, right? But it also has a broader application that probably fits more into what we experience. Like, uh, and then another one is worship of sacred objects. This is a bit of a joke, but you know, every once in a while you see that somebody is selling online a piece of toast that has the picture of Mary in it, or silly things like that. But back in, back in the Reformers' time, this would be like, oh, so-and-so says they have nails from the cross of Jesus. So-and-so says they have the pants that Jesus wore, or, you know, so on and so forth. So worship of sacred objects. Um, but then, there's, then there's, there's other things here that we need to be careful of. Ceremonialism. What's ceremonialism? Ceremonialism is the idea that God is worshipped expressly and only in outward acts and not by true faith in the heart. Idolatry of works, meritorious works. The idea that what I'm doing, works of the law, is in order to earn God's favor. That's, that's a type of idolatry. I apparently did three twice. Or lip service. What does Isaiah said? He says, these people proclaim with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's a kind of idolatry as well, lip service, outward devotion without living faith in the heart. So that's what's forbidden. But what's commanded? 
So this would be part of the, uh, the positive expression of the law, right? What's commanded? And this, in particular, this exposition of the second commandment is what differentiates Reformed churches from many other churches. And that's this, that we may only worship God in the way he has commanded in his word. Worship is exclusive to God's commands. What does John chapter 4 tell us? This is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. She has a particularly mixed bag of religious beliefs. A little bit from the Jewish, a little bit from the Samaritan, a little bit from this, a little bit from that. And so they would be considered, um, you know, false Jews, halfway Jews, you know, derogatory terms for them, right? And she's speaking to Jesus, starting in verse 19, and she says this, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. And she asks him a question about worship. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So how are we supposed to worship, Jesus? I can see that you're a prophet, but our fathers worship on this Mount Gerizim right here. And, but you tell us that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. This is what Jesus said. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So the reformers said... That when it comes to the worship of God, we are not free to do whatever we want. We are free within the restraints which God has placed positively in his word as to how we are to worship. So if you've ever walked into a a Reformed church like Cottage Grove and you thought to yourself, why do we order the worship we do? Why do we focus on the preaching of God's word? Why do we lift our voices? Why do we... uh, you know, not have certain of these other ways in which people are worshiping now. Smoke machines, uh, flashy lights, you know, all the craziness that we see going on uh, in our, in our diff- various church services. Why is it that, that Cottage Grove worships the way it worships? Because this church has a particular conviction that God has expressly told us how he desires to be worshipped, and it's our duty to strive after that. This is what's often called the regulative principle of worship. Here's the idea. If God has not said expressly, do not worship me this way, are we allowed to do it? Now, the Lutherans in the Reformation came down on that. They said... Well, if God does not expressly command against it, then we're free to do it. What the Reformers said was that, no, we are only free to worship God how he has positively commanded us 
to worship him in the scriptures. That's what this is saying when it says, not only are we not allowed to make any image of God, but we're not allowed to worship him in any other way than he has commanded in his word. And there's plenty of scriptures that point to this. First example I would give to you is Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, the priests. They thought to themselves, after this long explanation about how you're supposed to offer offerings, how you're supposed to go about it, how you are supposed to prepare yourself, they thought, you know what? Maybe we'll add a little bit of this. We'll add a little bit of that. And what the scriptures tell us is that because they presented strange fire before the Lord, he consumed them and killed them. Because they did not worship God the way he had commanded them to worship him. Right? We believe that God is very concerned with how he is worshipped. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, part 1 says this of the regular principle of worship. The acceptable way of worshipping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited to his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. If you want to know what worship looks like when it's not regulated by God's Word, look at the church in Corinth. You have an, an explanation, an example right there in your Scriptures. 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to them to instruct them how to order their worship service. And in chapter 4, he says, Do not go beyond what is written. Do not go beyond what is written. In the first commandment, we're told that God is the only God and all others are false. In the second commandment, that we are told to worship this God exclusively. And the way that we are to do this is not by creating images or idols, and it's positively by only worshiping him the way he has expressly commanded us to worship him. So that's exclusive. Number two is accurate. Our worship of God is to be, has it got two T's or is two C's? Yeah. Is accurate, okay? Question 97. May we then not make any image at all? Maybe you could consider this to be the question of, and this is important to me because I, I claim to be one that's a bit artistic. Or, is there allowed to be any art? Any artistic expression in the worship of God? Any banners with pretty words and, and colors, right? That would be a way that we could ask that question. Because it seems like we're being too narrow here. That's kind of the pushback. This is the answer. God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. So the answer to this is, on, in God's case, no. You're not permitted to have an artistic expression in colors and paintings of an image of God. And I, and I hate to say this, but the whole concept of this 
old man with flowing white hair, and it's, it's a disgrace to God. It's not who God is. Don't image him in that way. Don't picture him in that way. God is a spirit, and he doesn't have a body like a man, okay? Um, so the answer when it comes to God is no, but does this include all art? And this is what it says. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images if one's intention is to worship them or to serve God through them. God cannot be re- represented by any means. He's spirit and does not have a body. Any attempt to represent him is an offense to his true nature and glory. But it doesn't, this does not include all art. This is not a ban on all art or artistic expression. So art, uh, short answer, is allowed. I think there's two W's in allowed, but you know what? I'm over it. We must remember that God uh, placed his spirit upon men in the scriptures, right? Who built and constructed all the sculptures and elements of the tabernacle that were beautiful and glorious. And even later, the temple, right? What's being commanded here is not to make any images in order to worship them. But what I want us to, to grasp as an example maybe is this. Story, the book of Numbers. God commanded Moses to create a bronze serpent, right? Bronze serpent. And then, and, and in fact, this bronze serpent was to act as a type of Christ that Christ even speaks of in John chapter 3 in his conversation with Nicodemus. The, the Israelites were turning away from God, and God was angry, and he was lashing out at them, and they were being bit by these snakes, and they were dying in the thousands. So God says, create this bronze serpent, and anybody who looks up at this bronze serpent in faith will be healed. They won't be killed, right? So that's something that God expressly commanded to build this piece of art, you could even call it, right? (coughs) But then we're told in the reign of Hezekiah that he destroyed this bronze serpent because people of Israel were worshiping it and offering burnt sacrifices to it and had even given it a name. So is art allowed? Of course. But if it ever becomes a stumbling block and an idol, it's to be done away with. And it should never even have begun if the intention in the heart is to somehow focus or Uh, increase or improve your worship. Listen to what Calvin said in his Geneva Catechism. He said, It is not to be understood that these words reject all painting and sculpture. We are only forbidden to make pictures for the purpose of seeking or worshiping God by them. Maybe you're wanting to know more about about this, okay? Because this this is where the debate is. Are we allowed to have images of Christ. There's a Heidelberg Catechism here concerning the teaching of the second commandment that no image of any of the three persons of the Godhead should be created. Is that what the Heidelberg Catechism is teaching here? That's the Westminster Larger Catechism's expression of the law, second commandment, that no persons of the Trinity, of the three persons of the Trinity, should be imaged. But think about this. Some people use these arguments. Since Jesus became a man and is called the image of the invisible God. The Greek word there is icon. 
Since we're told in the book of Hebrews that the sun is the exact representation of God's being, then are we permitted to create images and pictures of Christ? The short answer is my conviction, no. The long answer is, I can tell you afterwards if you ask. Because I'm concerned that we don't miss the heart of the second commandment in the forest of its application. There's a long, long tradition in the Reformed faith of saying we should not have any images of Jesus. In recent years, there's been a variety of opinions about that. I'm sure even in this church we have differing opinions concerning that. And what I would say is, at the end of the day, that's a secondary issue. And that would not make me feel that we're at odds. We're brothers and sisters. We disagree on this. Um, but um, Jesus is still our Lord. But the heart of this commandment is true worship. It's true worship. And images of Jesus are a part of that. Because I, I, would, I would personally say that that's, that's not helpful and it's actually harmful. Um, but it's not all of it, right? Accurate representation of God means we're pointed back to his word and not to our own devices and thoughts and imaginations. There was a time when I was preaching before I came to this church. I remember this. That I would be preaching a sermon, and then when I would come to the, the bring-it-home Jesus point, I would put an image of Jesus Christ from one of the Jesus films up on the screen behind me. I regret that for this reason. Because we are told in the scriptures that we live by faith and not by sight. And we are told in the scriptures that now we do not see Christ, but on that day we will see him and we will be transformed because we will see him face to face. And what I felt that I was doing, looking back on that, was I was trying to help God. God needs my help. He hasn't accurately represented himself and revealed himself enough in his word. He needs my help. He needs a picture up on the screen so that people can really see Jesus when Jesus is right here. Perfectly revealed, perfectly described for us, okay? I'm trying to bring that future reality back into the now. And it's just doesn't compare. It doesn't compare. The last thing that we want to look at is carefully, and, I, and this gets into the reality too, because all the arguments that were going on at the time of the Reformation were this. Question number th uh, three. Um, um, yeah, I think accurate, is that right? Or careful. I just did accurate. Our worship of God should be careful. Look at what it says. But may not images be permitted in the churches as teaching aids for the unlearned. This was the argument at the time of the Reformation. They were saying, you people don't know how to read. You're the dumb people. I'm just being honest. That's what they were saying. And us clergy people, we can open the scriptures and read the scriptures. But what you guys need is the dumbed down version. You need the picture book, okay? That's what you need. That's how you're going to learn. So they made this sharp distinction between the laity and the clergy. 
This is an argument from Catholics and Lutherans even to this day who wrongly divide between the laity and the clergy. Many may still make this argument maybe for the sake of children. But the children in our church, they need these pictures and they need these simplified forms, right? Or having discussions with uh, friends the other day, they said, yeah, whenever we have a translation that, that gets finished, we send it over to, uh, to the Jesus film people, and they subtitle the Jesus film so they can send it to a new area where they can show the Jesus film with the, the subtitles in the new language. So maybe that's what we need it for, some sort of mission uh, experience where maybe these people don't have the Word of God in their, um, you know, in their language anymore or, or yet. So we use it that way. The catechism believes this is an attempt to be wiser than God. Are we wiser than God? Now, this is what I want you to think. This is what I want you to get. If God had wanted his people to have pictures and images to learn about his revelation and his character and who he was, would he have given them to us? The answer is yes. But that's not what he gave to us. He gave us his word. And we're all about sovereignty, and we're all about providence. And my question to you would then be, do you think there's a reason? He revealed himself this way, rather than any other way. And I believe there is. Why? God wants his people, both lady and clergy, both young and old, to be instructed by the living preaching of his word. That's what the answer says. No, we shouldn't try to be wiser than God. He wants his people instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. Now, if I'm up here and I'm woodenly preaching God's word, and it's like, you know, the peanuts with the teachers, and wah, 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 then maybe those people who create images to teach us about God, would have something to point out. But here it's saying the living preaching of the word. That do you believe that God accompanies the preaching of his word so that the preaching of God's word is the word of God? Do you believe that God uses the preaching of his word as a means to instruct his people in who he is, to reveal who he is, and most importantly, to show in the life of Jesus Christ the perfect revelation of his character and nature. In his word, in the scriptures, that's where we learn of God. Where we're corrected even from our false ideas and imaginations about him. There was a time in my life when I wasn't a Calvinist. And then I became a Calvinist by looking to God's word. And I use that as an illustration because I feel that at one time, my idea of God was not full. It was marred. It was skewed a little bit. But then I was, I was through, through the word, shown that God is sovereign, even over salvation. Praise God. And we're continually growing in that way, right? We're continually being conformed to the image of his son to the image of Christ. We're continually being helped and shaped to understand God rightfully and to know God rightfully and to understand him and, and see him by faith. 
not by sight, displayed perfectly in the life of Jesus Christ. If we as the people of God are instructed by the living preaching of his word, then we will be careful in our worship of him. We will approach him with the reverence he deserves, with the truth of his character and nature. Carefully means our worship of God is not determined by our preferences or our imagination, but by the careful exposition of God's self-revelation in the scriptures, the living preaching of his word. So, in closing, I want to talk about the threefold exposition of the law. First is the intention of the second commandment we're told in the catechism, is to show our gratitude by worshiping God in the manner he has commanded in his word. Second is the negative expression. We may not make any image of God at all because God cannot and may not visibly be portrayed in any way. Images are not permitted as teaching aids for the unlearned in place of the living preaching of God's word because we shouldn't try to be wiser than God. That's the negative expression. And then finally, the positive expression. God wants us to learn about him by the living preaching of his word, not by idols who cannot even talk. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in it and that all that we need to know about you for life and godliness, all that we need to see about who you are in Jesus Christ is right here for us. We do not have to trust or to depend upon our own imaginations or our own thinking or our own ideas, but we have all that we need in your word so that you, the one true and living God who has brought us out of Egypt and redeemed us, we can worship. We can worship truthfully and faithfully because you have instructed us in the way that you wish to receive worship. Because of that, we're free to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.